couldn't go home. I mean, the Lord showed up, right? Man. But uh, fortunately for, for us, the Lord is not done yet. So I don't know what you guys are feeling at home, but um, Spirit has been pretty active in the room today, and we're grateful for it. And uh, which reminds me, um, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. I am so glad that you're with us online. I'm glad um, that you are uh, with us in the theater as well, um, that you get a chance to enjoy the Spirit. And I really hope that you're experiencing that at home. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, I uh, have a real quick note before I get <laughs> rolling here. Uh, I just want to let everybody know, I am aware that the CDC has changed the guidelines. This came rather unexpectedly uh, for pretty much everybody, including the administration from what I gather. <laughs> so uh, what I'm going to do is just ask everybody's uh, patience a little bit longer as we try to work with our ministry partners to try to to figure out what the right course of action is for the rest of us. My commitment to you is to always be a thoughtful church, and we want to make sure that we're trying to keep as many people as safe as we possibly can, and yet still um, try to still live life a little bit, right? Um, so we'll see how things go. Hopefully, I will be able to communicate uh, to you the next steps, and yes, I'm leaving that deliberately vague so that I can buy myself some time to make sure that I get all the information that we need. So hang with us on that one, okay? So there's that. Okay, so we're in the series. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to start wrapping it up here. I don't know. Every time I think I'm going to wrap it up, the Lord decides to show me something new. So um, part of my task as, as a pastor is to equip you. It's Ephesians chapter 4 if you're interested in that is to equip you, and part of that is skill building. And so what I'm trying to do is to help you with some, some skills and maybe even some tactics, I guess, um, in your um, Bible study in order to be a better disciple. And so in this series, my goal has been to help you learn how to zoom out and see larger pictures of Scripture and, and to see that there's a bigger narrative there. There's a bigger story. It's not just little isolated vignettes that we read. And which I think is a great way of introducing the Bible to Sunday school because they're all flannel graph, right? I mean, you can put them up there and you can have their little Bible story, but those stories exist in a broader narrative. And so the author's trying to teach us some things. And <clears throat> I think it's perfectly fine for you to read a passage in the scripture, uh, a, a particular story or a narrative, and, and let God speak to you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not um, downplaying that at all. I think it's an important thing. But I think it's also beneficial for all of us to ask if that passage that we're reading might be part of a larger narrative. Does this make sense, what I'm saying? Remember, I'm, we're trying to be thoughtful about this, and so this little story exists in something greater. So let me just kind of remind you, um, I think it was last week or, yeah, last week or the week before, I guess, um, we read the story about Jesus calming the storm. Remember this? And the, the standard kind of lesson for that story is, well, if Jesus can calm the storm on the Sea of Galilee, he can calm the storms of your life too, Right? How many of you have heard a preacher preach that at some point in your lifetime? Yes, and that's true. I do believe that. However, it sits in a movement of stories. We see that one. We see him uh, cast out demons, and we see him um, uh, raise a dead girl and heal a sick woman. And in that, he declares his lordship 
which is a much bigger story. Does it mean that he can calm the storms? Yes, but there's more to it than that. He is not only declaring, but he's demonstrating his lordship over the entire natural world. Now, interestingly enough, this, uh, just this last week, I was talking with my eldest daughter, Elizabeth. We were discussing movies that were coming out, and there's a lot of horror movies coming out this summer, I guess. Uh, that's what she told me, and she knows more about that stuff than I do. And as I started thinking about it, is my guess is you're going to get movies on natural disasters, you're going to get movies about the demonic, and you're going to get movies about sickness and death, which, by the way, every zombie movie actually qualifies for. So you think things have changed over 2,000 years. They haven't. We're still afraid of the same stuff. And the stuff that you see on, on the movie screen that terrifies you, Jesus has already declared and demonstrated that he is Lord over that as well. Think about that. That's pretty powerful. So I don't go and watch those movies because I don't have to. I'm not scared because I know who calms the storm. I know who casts out the demons and I know the one who heals sickness and death. I don't have to worry about some movie hero. I got a hero. How about you? See what I'm saying? So there's this broader narrative every single time we read the Bible. And I think what happens is we miss the big picture. It means that we're missing a bigger and often more powerful message. Don't get me wrong. I love when Jesus calms the storms in my life. But I'm more impressed by the fact that he is Lord over all of it and I can take all of my junk to him and have confidence that he can handle that and still love me at the same time, right? So there's a, there's a bigger story here. So um, last uh, few weeks, we've been in the seminary of Jesus. Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls his disciples so that he can send them out, and then in Mark chapter 6, he actually sends them out. So everything in between Mark chapter uh, th uh, 3 and Mark chapter 6 is what I call the seminary of Jesus. He's trying to teach them certain things certain things before he, he, he sends them out. And then in Mark chapter 4, there's something interesting that if you look in the Gospel of Matthew, yes, I'm switching books, hang on. In the Mark chapter 4, there's a series of parables that are echoed in Matthew chapter 13, okay? Now, this is not uncommon because Mark was the first of all the Gospels written, and so both Matthew and Luke borrow from Mark quite a bit. So historically speaking, that gospel of Mark was uh, circulated among early Christians, and so later Christians would often use that. Does this make sense? So you've got the gospel of Mark. Now, of course, um, both Matthew and Luke then reorder and they reword some of those stories and, and essentially what they're doing is they're tailoring it for specific audiences. Now, this does not undermine the truth of the stories. In fact, it's one of the freedoms that we give authors. They have the ability to go ahead and choose those stories and try to tailor it in a way that their audience will, would understand. It's the same thing. Two preachers can preach on the same passage and come up with different things based on their own experience and on the experience of the congregation they're preaching to. Does this make sense? Nod your head so I know you're awake. Good. So this is what's going on. Um, so it doesn't undermine that. It just kind of shows the wondrous nature of the good news. One of the things that I'm impressed with about the good news over and over again is that it doesn't matter what culture. It applies. There is something about Jesus 
that is good news to every single people group. And the same thing is true with the stories that we tell about him. And so I wanna show you another movement in the text. And this time we're going to be in Matthew. And, and I'm, I'm not gonna develop everything. In fact, it's gonna be like skipping rocks. You, do y'all know what skipping rocks are? I mean, you've done this before, right? I remember my grandfather taught me to do that. Laughed at me the first few times because I was really good at, well, we called it spelunking. But spelunking is not, when, where I grew up on the coast of Lake Michigan, we didn't call cave exploring spelunking. Spelunking was the sound the stone made when it went into the water. Spelunk, right? Some of you will get that later. Okay, anyway, so we're gonna be kind of skipping rocks over the top of Matthew, and we're gonna touch on a couple of things, and I want you to see this movement in the, in the text. And so if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app, we're gonna start in Matthew chapter 14. And so um, you might wanna, we're gonna basically stick there uh, a couple of other passages as we go along, but we're gonna start in Matthew 14, and we, we bump into a, a story about John the baptizer. <clears throat> Um, I used to call him John the Baptist, but then I realized there's a whole denomination by that name, and so I just call him John the Baptizer now because it's easier to understand, I think. But this is the cousin of Jesus, and we pick up his story in Matthew chapter 14. And uh, there's a couple of things here that we need to understand context-wise. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually declares John the greatest of all the prophets, period. Because there's nobody greater when it comes to to prophets. But like many of Israel's prophets, John got sideways with the ruling class of Israel. And uh, John very publicly criticized the Roman puppet ruler, another man named Herod, um, because he had an affair with his brother's wife. So there's lots of political intrigue that are going on, but if you're the ruler of a nation, and there is a very popular prophet, of which John was, and he's criticizing you publicly, you kind of want him to be quiet. And so he, um, Herod actually arrests him, throws him, throws him. And through a series of very odd events that we read around, uh, read in Matthew chapter 14, uh, John's criticism actually cost him his head. He was beheaded while he was in prison. And so I want to pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 14, uh, beginning with verse 12. So John had been been beheaded. Verse 12, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Keep that in mind. Next verse, when Jesus heard what had happened to John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Okay, so... Imagine this, your cousin, whom you've just declared relatively recently, according to the storyline, to be the greatest prophet, has been killed um, by the ruling class. And so what does he do? He withdraws. But the crowds eventually find him because he's that popular. We think that John's popular. Matthew is making a point here. It's not just that John was popular. Jesus was pretty popular, too. It's almost like the handwriting's on the wall at this point, that this is going to go somewhere. If this happened to John, what's going to happen to Jesus? It's a question that, as a reader, you, uh, you would be asking in your mind if you were reading this the first time. So he withdrew, hearing of the crowds, they followed him on foot from the towns. 
verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, I want to hit the pause button right here. I want to make a brief comment. That verse right there is the very reason why, as Christians, we pray for sick people. In every circumstance, because there is no way that we have more compassion on other people than God does. And so when we approach healing prayer, um, and I, I know there's, there's a lot of things uh, related to healing prayer that you know, we, we probably need to talk about a little bit more, but in your heart, the thing that you must remember when you pray for the healing of another person is that God has more compassion than you do. And you lean into that as you pray for them. And that's why we do it. It's not because somehow that we've been given some gift of, of, of healing, and if that's you, great, that's awesome. But the bottom line is this is about him and his compassion for, for the people. And we see this demonstrated in Jesus. You want to understand what the heart of God is? His compassion for people. Here he is trying to withdraw to a solitary place because he's grieving. Don't, don't misunderstand that. The whole reason why he wanted to get away is he's grieving the death of his cousin. And yet, he still has compassion for people. That's just the heart of God. And what follows after he does the healing is this amazing uh, miracle. It's the story of feeding 5,000. So Jesus is ministering. It's getting kind of late, and the disciples are asking him, hey, you might want to break things up because people are hungry. Interesting thing here, I think... I think Jesus, to me, he gives the greatest command ever. He looks at his disciples and he goes, we don't have to break up. You give them something to eat. Can you imagine what that was like? I mean, think about it. You got 5,000 people and that doesn't include the women and children. You got 5,000 men. Jesus is doing the Jesus thing. The disciples are probably trying to keep up with him and he says, yeah, um, get them something to eat. It's not like they can call the food trucks to come in. And they're probably scratching their heads and they're wondering, what is happening here? Huh, interesting. So, what happens? They go and they find some loaves and fishes, some, some bread and some sardines, I guess. And you know, you know the rest of the story. He multiplies it so that everybody is fed until they're full and then there's leftovers. Because it's not a good meal unless there's leftovers, Right? My, my fridge is filled with them. I love it. I like, I like eating leftovers. We plan for that. Uh, so does Jesus, by the way. So we're in good company, okay? You got leftovers? You just follow Jesus. Keep that in mind. Okay, here we go. So <clears throat> we see um, that there's this um, amazing miracle that happens. Let's pick up the story here in, let's see, verse 20, uh, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, so ministry he, um, and healings, and then we have the food. We, we made them full. It's time for them to go home. Okay, so he sends them home on their way, and they're satisfied. So he tells his disciples, go on, go on ahead of them. Um, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And, and here's where the story gets interesting. 
because, okay, he sends the disciples uh, on their way. Jesus, how are you gonna get a, how are you gonna follow? There ain't no more boats left. <laughs> that's, all, that's cool, Jesus starts walking on the water, right? Because that's what you do. You know, when there's no boats, you just walk on the water, <laughs> kind of a thing. And this is the part of the story that I really love because this is where Peter kind of demonstrates that thing that we all would hope that we would do. When we see Jesus walking on the water, we're like, hey, can I play? Can I, can I do that too? And so, so Peter goes out and he's walking on the water and then he notices the waves and blah, 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 blah. You know the story, right? And Jesus makes this great comment. He says, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Ah, sometimes I doubt too. By the way, you all need to pray that um, to God more. Can I play? You need to do that. Especially when you see him up to something. You need to pray and say, hey, Lord, how can I be a part of that? Uh, I think he enjoys that. Now, I want you to notice something very important in this movement. There were two things that occurred that deserve our attention that I deliberately kind of glossed over, okay? And here's, here, here's the, the pattern the movement of the story. After John, after he got news of John, what did Jesus do? He withdrew to a solitary place. Now very often in the text, we see that when Jesus withdraws, it's to be alone with God. And then after significant ministry, what does he do? He goes up a mountainside to what? Pray. Does that make sense? we see this thing that's going on in his life. And I recently heard another, um, another uh, pastor make a comment on this, and, and yeah, I, I try to listen to other pastors too, and I wanna give credit where credit is due. But I really, I really felt like this was uh, something that I needed to hear. The pattern is, is that in the midst of crisis, get alone with God. In the midst of celebration, Get alone with God. Do you see the consistency of Jesus' life and behavior here? He consistently went to be alone with God. Whether it was crisis, whether it was celebration, it didn't matter. The point was he needed to be connected to God. It's easy to miss because we get all wrapped up in the miraculous, but please understand that the tragedy the grieving that he had in his solitary moments with God gave him the strength to have compassion and to do ministry afterwards. And it wasn't just the ministry afterwards as he went up to pray to get enough from God again to go do what he had to do. And what did, what did he do? He walked on water. And there's a contrast here between Jesus and Peter. Jesus goes up to pray Peter doesn't, and he doubts. Now, don't be too harsh on Peter. Peter's just learning this stuff for the first time. You know, Jesus has had a relationship with, with God and, 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 and is trying to teach these disciples actually how to do it, and Peter doesn't have that benefit yet, so don't be too harsh on him. But I think there is a contrast. I think there's a contrast be between a Jesus who goes up and prays, is able to walk on the water, and Peter who wants to play and doubts. Now, I can't prove that from the text because I would be making an argument from silence and you can't do it, but I just find it interesting that in the story, you've got this contrast. 
But the lesson maybe here is that when you're alone with God, it builds faith and undermines doubt. When you're actually alone and you're spending time with him and you're beginning to hear his voice and it happens little by little and, and for, for me, I, I'm still trying to sort that out. And I've been doing this for a while. And the point is, is that it builds faith over a period of time. It doesn't happen all at once, although I really wish it would. How about you? But it doesn't. I think God just allows us to build that muscle over time, that consistent practice over and over again. Now, I know that this idea of getting alone with God, of chasing after his presence, is not new to this congregation because, um, frankly, we've been talking about it for a couple of years now. We want to we chase after his presence. But there's something that uh, I've noticed over the last few months, um, specifically, and, and over the last couple of weeks, actually. But there's been a really heavy presence of God in this room. Have you noticed that? Yeah, some of you are shaking your head. Um, I, I don't know what it's like online. I hope that you're experiencing it because it's, it's been awesome. And I, what I've realized about myself is that when God's presence shows up, for whatever reason, I start crying. Oh, God, just, Lord, really? Do I have to do that? And he's like, yeah, that's how I made you. Okay, but I can, I can just tell that there's this presence of God in the room and it's, it's an amazing sort of thing. And, um, you know, Recently, I, I, I find myself asking, God, is there something you want to do? You know, do you want to manifest yourself in a particular way? I don't know. I'm just trying to stay open to that. And it seems to me that, like right now, what he wants is for us to just enjoy the fact that he's here, which I am okay with. I, I hope you are too. I, I know that I, I'm enjoying it. But there's just this awareness of the goodness of God and the things that we're, we're singing and the things that we're talking with each, uh, to, uh, talking with each other about afterwards. Um, and, and hopefully it translates into our small groups and, and that sort of thing as, as well. But I, I have to be honest, there's this part of me, and maybe it's just the way I'm wired, but I, I keep asking myself, why? What's going on here? Um, I do that a lot with with my relationship with God. What's going on here? Because, you know, I don't always see everything. But I wonder, I wonder why. I, perhaps it's just this randomness where God kind of shows up because it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? And then um, there's a, a, a phrase, I think it was Andy Stanley who said it, is that you, you can't ask God or you can't necessarily say that God is just blessing us. He says, because that sounds a little arrogant, and I think that's right. But rather, the better question is, what is it that God's blessing? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that one. And so obviously, he's blessing us with his presence here. So what does that mean? Does that mean that maybe we're supposed to focus more attention on Sunday morning worship? And I keep thinking, I'm not sure what else we can do. We have good online presence, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm in, enjoying all this, so it's not, like, it's not like we can make this necessarily better. I mean, maybe, but you know, it's just tweaking at this point, so I'm not sure that's necessarily w- what it is. <clears throat> and then I thought, maybe, maybe God is showing up in response to something. Now, you've got to be careful here, because you know I don't like formulas, because I don't, because I don't think God fits into formulas. Um, 
but I do think that there is something that's, that's happening here. And it hit me that for the last, I don't know, a couple of years, but certainly over the, you know, during the, the pandemic especially, is that there have been a number of us who've been chasing after the presence of God during the week. And we've been experiencing him during the week. Answers to prayers um, from time to time, just the sense that God is listening, sometimes God is speaking. Depends. So no wonder he wants to make himself known when we're all together. So the things that are happening individually are beginning to happen corporately, and that's a good sign. At least I think it is. It reminds me of the, the poet in Psalm chapter 22. The poet writes um, this word. He goes, that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And what's interesting about the word enthroned, in, at least in this particular uh, Hebrew word, is that it carries with it the idea of dwelling or inhabiting. And those of you who remember King James Version of the Bible, it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That kind of gets at the idea probably a little bit better. But when you praise God in your week and thank him for who he is and the things that he's done for you and you spend time listening to him, guess what? When you get with other Christians, he shows up because he inhabits the praises of his people. It's not by accident. It's by his word. He's saying this. And so here we are chasing after his presence individually, and now we're saying the Lord is in this place with us when we gather together. In fact, before every uh, service, there is a prayer that goes up that says, we declare that we are gathered in your name. We know by your word you're here too. Again, it's not by formula, it's, it's not just by practice or by habit, it's by the word of God. And so, okay, then we're going to hold you to that, Lord. You know, it's not like, you know, we're holding you accountable, but we believe in what you said is true, and so let's try it out, see what happens. And lo and behold, God shows up, and we're blessing each other by putting out our hands and we're coming into alignment with the things he says by, by singing amen. Please remember that the words that come out of your mouth are not just words. There is power to that. And when you sing it over other people and when you sing it over your life, you're not just singing words. You are actually declaring something. You are proclaiming something that has power in the reality in which you live. Don't forget that. So I had a thought. You know I like experiments, right? What if, what if all of us, or better yet, all y'all, <laughs> attempted to chase after God's presence this week just a little bit more? Maybe it's, it's something like, you know, I just, I just don't know how to do it. And, and I, you know, or I'm a teenager and I don't think about it during the week. Okay, I gotcha. Double dog dare you to try. But what if everyone who is watching online and everyone who's sitting in here just said, hey, at least 
couple times this week, I'm going to take five minutes and just say, God, thank you for my life. Please speak to me. And then shut up and listen. <laughs> well, what would that be like? I don't know. But I really want to find out. And I think it's that simple that we try to chase after that presence just a little bit more than, than what we have. Look, I know you're busy. I'm busy too. I know you're stressed. I'm stressed too. I don't have any more hair to pull out. What I'm saying is that what if it weren't just a few people who are chasing after the presence of God? What if more people said, hey, what would that be like? Maybe what you're experiencing here in the theater begin happening elsewhere. Maybe um, you'd be having a conversation with someone and you'd have the right word to say at the right time. Maybe you would avoid conflict because the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would keep your heart in line with Jesus. Maybe you would find your relationships strengthening. I don't know. But I think we ought to give it a try to see what would happen. And those of you who are watching online, the same thing is true for you. Whether you're experiencing a heavy sense of the presence of God or not, join us. What have you got to lose? Set an alarm. You know, pick a time during the day. And it will be inconvenient. I promise you that. It will absolutely be inconvenient because that alarm has a tendency to go off when you're the most upset. I don't know why. Yes, I do, because God's poking at you. Or maybe it'll show up at a time that's truly amazing. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. We, we used to have a practice where we would set our alarm periodically throughout the day just to remind us every hour on the hour that, that God was present with us, that God is here, and that alarm would go off to try to break that habit of just kind of autopilot. And <clears throat> when we did this a number of years ago in our family, um, we were at Walt Disney World, and we walked into Walt Disney World, and it was the first time I had ever heard Elizabeth be silent for more than about 10, 15 minutes because the experience actually exceeded anything in her wild imagination, which, trust me, is wild. And she was dead quiet, and there we were, and I'm holding her hand, and we're having a good time, and my alarm went off and said, God is here. I said, thank you, Lord. Because God is present in those moments, too. See, we tend to think about the crisis and the tragedy, because there's an awful lot of it. Oh my gosh, P please be praying for the peace in, in the Middle East right now. Please, please do that. And that's not all, you know, there's more. <laughs> Great, but the point is that I'm trying to make here is that we tend to think about going to God when things are bad, but you know what? God likes to celebrate with us too. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm gonna preach on that at some point. That one really hit me the other day. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I need more strength. How about you? Yes, I could use a little bit more. So what if in those moments of celebration, 
and in the moments of crisis or tragedy that we are going and spending time with God, seeking his presence and seeing where else he begins to show up in the rest of our lives. Where might he show up? What might he do? Maybe, just maybe, there would be a compassionate moment and you would pray for somebody and something would happen. (gasps) How cool would that be? But you don't know because you don't try. So put the cart behind the horse. The horse, the horsepower here, is the presence of God. You cannot have the power of God without his presence. So choose. Choose his presence first. It's not about the gift, it's about the giver. Because you can't have one without the other. Are you seeing a pattern here? Yeah. So my prayer for all of us this week is that we would chase just a little bit more, just a little bit harder after God in his presence and just saying, hey God, could we connect? See what he does, see what he says. Listen, listen, because he's speaking all the time. He wants you to hear him. He wants that kind of relationship with you. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good to us. The pattern of your life has taught us that whether it's tragedy or whether it's celebration that we're supposed to get with God, that you actually want to be with us in those moments, that there's a a comfort and compassion in our tragedy and and in our crises. But Lord, there's also a great joy in in our celebration as well that you actually um, sing over us. There's this joy. I, I, I keep... Um, I heard this the other day and it, it really strikes me, God, that it's, it's kind of like you know parents over a newborn child. There's like laughing and crying all at the same time and no, I don't understand what those emotions are but, but yet I do and yet you do that over us over and over again. And so Lord, I just pray that each person today who might make a, a commitment just this week to a couple of times chase after you a little bit harder. Oh God, that you would meet them in such a way that you would overwhelm them with your love. It would overwhelm them with that sense of of who you are and your unfathomable goodness. And that that might, might cause us to want a little bit more. So that when we're in the presence of God individually, we can gather together and say that the The Lord is in this place. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the junk, or regardless of the mistakes that we made, that you are always there wanting to connect with us. You're a good God. And we're grateful. I'm gonna, um, during the last song here, I'm I'm just gonna be around the corner, um, back over here. Uh, to my, my right, your left. And uh, I just invite you that if, if you want to pray, um, if you want to talk about anything um, to God about, he wants to meet with you, and it would be my privilege to join you in that. Um, you can either slip out the side and come around, or you can walk through the out, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to be over here. I'm, I'm available to chat with you about whatever. It's up to you. God is reaching out to you. If you're feeling that tug, don't ignore it. And here's the deal. 
Don't worry about what other people think because they're not worried about it. In fact, knowing this crowd, most people are saying, oh, isn't God merciful? Isn't God good that he wants to talk to somebody and that he's, that he's, he's speaking to them now? Ah, that's the type of encouragement. Look, if you're online and you're, you're, you're listening to this, I know uh, Pastor James is online. You can always reach out to him, either direct message to Thrive Church or to him personally, and we'd love to pray with you. Don't, don't go another moment without taking whatever it is up with Jesus. He wants to be there. He wants to connect with you on those things. So as we, uh, as we pray and as we sing, as we worship God, be sensitive to the fact that he is active and he is up to something and you get to be a part of it. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.